everyone. Welcome to the first ever Two Button Crew podcast. This is Scott. This is Simeon. I'm Ryan. And I'm Glenn. All right. We've got most of the band together today for our debut podcast. We're going to be discussing The Breath of the Wild. So I'm not sure at which point we'll get into spoilers, but we will warn you. The story is uh, towards the end. So don't worry about that if you haven't beaten the game yet. Though there may be uh, gameplay spoilers. Gameplay spoilers, definitely. But what is kind of cool about Zelda is um, that most of the gameplay options are available from the very beginning. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, this is our, our first show together, TBC's first podcast. How's everybody doing today? Doing well. So, man, we just shot an amazing video. Yes, we did. I'm having a fantastic day today. Good. <laughs> Just got everything taken off of my face. Yes. And uh, listeners, you may have noticed there was no advertisement on this podcast before we started. This will be an ad-free show, and it is supported by Patreon. So if you would like to have more TBC podcasts, head on over to patreon.com slash two-button-crew. T-W-O, button crew. All right. Are we ready to get into this? We are ready. Uh, yeah. Heck yeah. All right. Glenn, you had an interesting question about favorite Zelda games. Yeah. So I thought just as a baseline for this discussion, it would be really good to establish what, you know, sort of our biases and, you know, just what is our favorite Zelda games prior to playing Breath of the Wild? Yeah. So uh, should I go first or? Please. Um, my favorite Zelda game before Breath of the Wild came out uh was or is or however you know i don't want to spoil <laughs> my opinion on it so don't take this uh any of the phrasing as uh that things have changed or haven't changed but all right uh a link between worlds for the 3ds i thought that game was uh just very very tightly designed yeah that's awesome and mm-hmm. i know it was made to have a lot of n- nostalgia towards a link to the past did you also really like that game you know, A Link to the Past, I think I once rented the Game Boy Advance version from a Blockbuster. Uh, remember those? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, the old and I didn't buildings. like it that much, but I got it on the, uh, the virtual console because, you know, it is a classic, and I try to be familiar with the classics, um, you know, in sort of a snobbish connoisseur kind of way, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and so... Um, I, I liked it a lot better my, my second time around when I was older and more used to being challenged by, you know, uh, 90s difficulty. Yeah. Okay. And Link Between Worlds had the flattening mechanic and then also a bit yeah, more Yeah, and that was open. actually really well implemented. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, it made the game very puzzle-heavy, which was cool. Though, bear in mind, I wouldn't say that... Um, that Link to the Past was my favorite before playing Link uh, Between Worlds. The, you know, my fondness of that game was not the reason. Is not the reason why I love a Link Between Worlds. Gotcha. Okay, so mm-hmm. it's a good, good enough game. It stands on its own for all, all of its yeah, own merits. Quite well, Ryan. What do you say? Mine would be Link's Awakening. I tend to gravitate towards the untraditional Zelda titles, and I really, really like that one. That one and Majora's Mask are both far up there for me. Mm, sounds like someone else I know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that would be me, yeah. Um, 
Definitely for 3D, it was uh, Majora's Mask, and for 2D, it would be uh, actually Link to the Past. I really liked uh, um, what was the one that Ryan said. I can't remember. Why can't Link's I Awakening. It? Link's Awakening. I did like Link, Link's Awakening. It was a lot of fun, uh, but I just liked all the items and in- intricacies and um, how a Link to the Past fit together, the colors and everything. But yeah, uh, Majora's Mask is definitely. Was definitely at least uh, once again. I don't want to do spoilers. Uh, <laughs> my my favorite before this. The characters were memorable. Um, the setting was memorable. Uh, just exactly what's going on. Uh, working through that was great. And I even liked the time mechanic that I thought I was going to loathe. So, I think it's much improved in the 3DS version, though. I never really played the original, but. In the 3DS, they changed it so you could warp to any point in time of the day. Really? Before, you had to go to the start of the day every single time. Mm-hmm. And so if you wanted to be like 2 p.m., you'd have to actually like wait until 2 p.m. Right. Instead of just warping straight there. So That's cool. Yep. I'm still tempted to pick up Majora's Mask 3D, even though the Switch is out. And it's hard to go back and play on a smaller, lower-resolution screen. Yeah. But I really enjoyed Ocarina of Time 3D. Let's get to my favorite, though. Um, my favorite Zelda game before Breath of the Wild is one that uh, had very good aiming controls, very good sense of progression and uh, reward. It was even a good deal. Any guesses, anyone? Don't you dare say Skyward Sword. I will leave this podcast. Crossbow training. <laughs> Link's crossbow training. You got yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Only $20, and it came with the zapper. I mean... What more could be better? I loved like blowing up those pumpkins' heads and then exploding them. <laughs> All right, Scott wins. <laughs> <laughs> Had the best final boss ever. But if we're only considering mainline ones, then <clears throat> I also really like Twilight Princess. Mm-hmm. And I think that I enjoyed that for its darker tone, um, the more adult Link, and the just the whole feel of the game. And the items. And all that. Items, yes, extremely good weapons and um, traversal items and all that. The spinner, so fun. Mm. Yeah. So fun, but underutilized. Indeed. Yeah. Breath of the Wild could have a spinner DLC, 15 bucks. <laughs> For go. just the spinner. And you know <laughs> people would buy that. They'd be like, yes. Fidget spinner DLC. <laughs> <laughs> Fidget spinner. Oh, no. Give me in. <laughs> Man, I had to. Man. I'm, a, I'm with fifth and sixth graders all day long. I have to oh, no. throw that. I would ban those so fast. This is supposed to be a conversational, t- timeless podcast, and there you go. You just dated it. <laughs> and you, you just you know made me feel dated because I you know I know it's a thing, but I have kind of not like clicked on any videos about it or anything so i don't know what these things are i just know what they look like they just spin around that's all you need to know oh so it's a top oh, no they spin around in your fingers nope. you hold them in your hand and you just flick so them it's, and a, spin it's like a gyroscope right. <laughs> so anyway yeah no all right so we will discuss at the end of this episode after we've gone over some of the merits and demerits unmerits of Flaws. Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yes, flaws. <laughs> and then we'll talk about uh, what the current best Zelda ever is. So mm-hmm. let's get into this newest game. Did everyone play it on Switch? 
Yes. Uh, yes I played on Switch, yes. Okay. All right, cool. So this game had very unique gameplay and presentation as well. Um, one thing that was pretty hard to get the hang of at first was were the controls. I remember hearing that from people who went to E3 as well. They were like, I'm always accidentally throwing my weapon and stuff like that. But man, there's a lot of buttons oh, yeah. to use in this game, huh? Um, right. Even by the end of the game, I was still making mistakes. Honestly, I, I think the controls are... Uh, for my gameplay, you know, talking about gameplay, I think it's one of the things I would um, definitely recommend Nintendo uh, try to try to improve upon in the next game. Because um, you know, there's just little things. It's mostly muscle memory. If you didn't, if if I hadn't played a Zelda game before this, I'm sure I would have gotten used to it pretty quickly. Mm, but I agree with you know, like too. in a com- combat, in combat. You know, I try to do a backflip or something to avoid getting hit because, you know, you don't want to get hit. Um, and so I would press the A button, you know, like the the action context-sensitive button that you use in most Zelda games, and Link would put away his sword and shield and get hit like a dope. <laughs> <laughs> Can't we just have peace? <laughs> um, Hug and, me, bro. I mean, yeah. can you can you actually think of something that they could do to simplify the controls, though? Because there's just so many actions. Like, everything was assigned to something. I don't know. I think giving throwing its own button may be... I, I get that it's there for the weapon throwing, but I think that's the only reason it's there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because um, if, you know... Uh, like throwing bombs, I found incredibly annoying because you'd have to. You know, I'm used to just tapping for and pressing A. You know, yeah, or that's tap a. a big departure. Yeah. Yep. They they were breaking the conventions after all. If if they had switched to throw and jump, I think that would have been an improvement. I gotcha, Simeon. You yeah, love throwing stuff, though. Talk about that. Uh oh yeah. So Scott would make fun of me. Because, you know, you can go into the menu and drop a weapon or whatever. But I would never just drop a weapon if I if I could. And, I mean, this leads into um, user interface problems, which, I mean, we can talk about that now, is that it's a pain to drop weapons. And so I just throw them. You know, I don't need a weapon. I just throw it. And Scott would just, like, laugh every single time. Because it's like, so, you know, you, you're supposed to drop the weapon. But it's just like, why do that? Just chuck it. That makes, You know what? I didn't even think about that. <laughs> That every makes a time. lot of sense. Simeon would avoid going into the menu because he would just use the quick menus and then have it equipped and throw it. And um, it just looked really funny to me. Like, like oh, I don't need this old thing anymore. <laughs> Chuck it. <laughs> but yeah, Honestly, I, that's my preferred way of doing it because yeah. uh, there's just something cathartic about it. It's just, <laughs> it's like, get out of here. <laughs> you know, it's just... Rusty sword, bye. Yep. <laughs> The inventory screens I felt were pretty good, but um, as far as like managing your actual inventory when you're getting something new, uh, that needs to be no. improved. Yes. And the biggest pain is when you fight your way to a chest and you solve whatever puzzle, you open it up, and then you don't know what's inside. So any one of your slots could be full. Like, say it's a shield and your shields are full, then mm-hmm. you put it back in, you close the chest, you have to go into the menu, drop a shield and pick it back up. I don't know how this game made it through the thousands and thousands of hours that they did of quality assurance testing without someone thinking that 
that should prompt you to swap it if you want it. For real. Right, like press a different button to like open up the menu to swap it out with something. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that would have been a good addition. It's crazy. And then the other kind of UI uh, quirk that I found is like, I could never really remember what was in the plus menu and what was in the minus menu. Yeah, I had trouble with that too. So I thought maybe it should all be one menu that's connected or um, some different visual cues to to help me learn the difference because I beat the whole game and still sometimes had to switch back and forth between menus. Yep, I would do that every once in a while too. I would say even just like the regular menus, I I had some difficulty with it because like the L and R buttons do different things than the uh, R stick, the right stick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'd sometimes like, Try hit R to like page through the categories in my inventory yes, and instead take so me to times. like the option screen. Yeah. So, um, and you know, when your inventory gets big and it gets kind of unwieldy. Yeah, the material section, I would want to skip past it. And yet I had to go through like five pages of things to go from, you know, key items or whatever I was going to through to like the weapons or whatever. Going through ma the materials was such a big pain that I just like, oh, I'll press R to skip this, and then, nope. <laughs> and I did that so many times. They should have had the miscellaneous at the end. Yep. You know what could have mitigated a little bit of this? Um, enabling the touchscreen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. That would have been cool. Yeah. I think that would have been utilizing technology that they had on both systems. <laughs> Yeah, but then I'd have to like take my switch out of the dock every time I wanted to navigate my menu. That would just be that would be a different kind of annoying. That's also true. Well, you no, would, not if you had the option. You could. I mean, if it was docked, then you just use your control stick like normal. But if you're playing mm -hmm. handheld, then you can use the touchscreen. But oh yeah, I I think I've actually played my switch handheld once. Oh what? Um, I'm, I'm boring. I don't go places. <laughs> See, I, I played it, um, about half and half. Not, no, that's a lie. I did play it mostly handheld, but if I had my druthers and the switch was my own, as opposed to borrowing Scott's, I would play with it docked all the time because I'm not a mobile gamer. Mm -hmm. I'm just not. Wow. I played 80% handheld. Okay. Quick question. Was that just for the, uh, was that just for the frame rate or... No, I didn't really mm -hmm. take that into consideration. Mm. It's just that when I'm home, I need to be like with my wife or working on TBC stuff. So I take the switch for like my breaks at work and when I'm maybe waiting in line for something or something like that. Mm, um, okay. Or even like just before falling asleep. So I get a lot more handheld gaming time. So I'm loving the switch for that reason. And unfortunately, I think that um, we started out this discussion with, I'd say, probably most of the negatives for this game. But um, I do really oh, I love... have more negatives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Well, I do really love this game. I think that it's, it's pretty close to perfect, and the flaws that it does have are updatable, um, yeah, in my I opinion. Agree. I was gonna say when one of the main gripes is the menus, <laughs> you're getting down to the right, yeah, nitty, that's nitty true. gritty, yeah. But you spend so much time in the menus. I mean, that's like a 20% of the game. <laughs> At least it was like 20% of my game. You know, you get hit, uh, gotta eat something. Yeah. I never ate anything. I just died. 
and started over again. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to fix Simeon from his bad habits. So <laughs> I never wasted first, anything. <laughs> the very first open world Zelda, and I loved it. I think that yes. I can't believe how Nintendo just took their first step into a genre and nailed it. Um, when when so many other AAA developers are trying and failing sometimes and succeeding other times, it's like Nintendo just kind of taught everybody a lesson. So, yep. and the five years that this game was in development really show. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, that's what Nintendo does. They nailed the 3D platformer for the N64. and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Splatoon for third person. Well, I don't know. I guess Star Fox Assault, you could make an argument. It was developed by Namco, published by Nintendo. You could make an argument for that. Mm-hmm. I played quite a few open world games and I would say the climbing is like a complete game changer because most of the time you have to like, Oh, well I can't get up here. So I have to walk around, find this path, take that all the way up. It winds all the way around this one. You're like, Oh, I want to go up there. Mm, I'm just going to climb straight up. Yep. Yeah. And that incentivized you to, uh, go get everywhere. more stamina, <laughs> yeah. get more stamina so that you could discover more things. Yep. I stopped getting hearts at one point. Cause I was like, I'm just going to max out my stamina and then I can go everywhere that I want to go. Simeon, stamina or hearts? Oh, oh, stamina, easily. I I was completely depressed when I had to uh, <laughs> change in my stamina for hearts just to get the Master Sword. Whoa! Spoilers. What, that the Master Sword is in this game? It's in the logo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think the, I think talking, yeah, Master Sword's fine. We're good. Okay. <laughs> Man, that was close. Um, this, the world is huge. What was it, 14 times bigger than Twilight Princess? I believe that was oh, the statistic. Um, and has way more stuff in it, too. Yeah. I can't wait for that DLC update that shows you everywhere that you've been so far in the game so that I can go to the places that I haven't been to yet. Yes. So, did you guys feel like the world was appropriately and proportionally populated, or did it feel sparse in sections to you guys? Uh, I think it definitely felt sparse in sections, but they they certainly did a, uh, a a very good job with just considering how big the world is, and I think they used their space pretty well. Um, yeah, there there were a few times where I'd go, oh, I wonder what's on that mountain. I get up there and there's nothing. Yeah, <laughs> but there might have been five Koroks that you didn't find there. Well, you know, sometimes I get to a place and it's like, okay, there's at least going to be a Korok here. I didn't even find a Korok. <laughs> I did that. I I think that it was probably appropriately um, populated for the setting, even just talking about NPCs. The problem was I had no desire whatsoever to talk to any of the NPCs. I, I was not invested in anything. Yep. I was... A little bit invested in the story, but it was all gameplay for me. For me, it was exploring and beating stuff up and beating the shrines and figuring out puzzles. To me, that was the attraction, the gameplay, as opposed to like actually figuring out how these people fit in this world. Like I had like almost no interest in that. Yeah, a lot of the NPCs weren't that. Um, you know, Zelda is known for having pretty colorful. NPCs. Yeah. And, uh, this game really uh, did not deliver on that front. I agree. Because it's basically just the main characters and maybe a 
few weirdos you meet. Uh, for, so you did uh, talk to classes. a lot of them, Glenn? Huh? Uh, yeah, I I spent a lot of time in this game. I, I did all the shrines and everything, so... I mean, I haven't gotten all the Korok seeds, because that's just not worth anyone's <laughs> time. Okay, well, since you brought it up, let's talk about our counts real quick. I think I'm at about 50, maybe 45, somewhere in there. I can't remember where I'm at, but I'm probably in a similar boat as far as shrines you're talking. Yeah. Uh, just hours, actually. Oh, hours. No, I don't I don't even remember. I think last time I looked, you were pretty close to me. So I mean, okay. I think I'm like 80 or 90. Nice. I have no clue how many hours I put into the game. Because uh, the Switch doesn't keep deep. records on that. Well, I'd have to go up and go into my living room and get the switch out of the dock, and then it's, nah. it's too much work. I mean, are you scared of what you would see? Um, like, like 12% of your life has been used. Uh, the, the thing is, I, I'm very objective-driven, so basically most of my exploration was looking for shrines or cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't like just wander around and sit, sit down and look at the sunset. It's <laughs> unless the sunset is a part of, you know, a, a quest, which uh, spoilers, uh, it, yeah, sometimes they do stuff that like one, that. That one was the worst. That was the worst. No, quest. the worst one was the one with the blood moon where you have, where you have to like oh, yeah, dance that's what I'm naked talking about. under the blood moon or whatever. Yeah. Mm. That's what I'm talking about because the blood moon is random. Mm-hmm. So I had to. I it seriously took me like two and a half hours to get that, and over like two days because I couldn't even do it in one sitting. But you sure the blood moon is random? I mean, it's supposed to happen every so many days, but I think when you skip, it yeah, it changes it a little bit. And the problem was is that was literally the last shrine that I needed, oh. so I wasn't just gonna like sit there and wait for the blood moon or whatever. I just wanted to get that shrine done so I could have them all completed. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. I really liked the experience of finding the towers and climbing them and then just putting a bunch of points on the map and gliding yeah. down to find different shrines and stuff. Yeah, I have to admit, I love the way the towers were implemented because each one is kind of its own puzzle. Yeah. Um, it's like, how do I get, you know, it's not just, oh, there's a big tower I have to climb. It's like, how do I even get to the tower so that I can climb it? That That was really... Uh, really clever, I thought. Like the Citadel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like yeah, the, I like that the very first tower is like, oh, okay, here's a tower. I just climb up, whatever. Yeah. The, and then the other ones each have their own unique twist on it. So. Mm-hmm. All right. A little more gameplay spoilers right here. I wanted to talk about the favorite shrines or shrine quests, like getting to them, or maybe even your favorite ones on the inside. Um, but my favorite shrine memory right now is this quest that I got that had to do with um, this like. Well, I forget the name, but the Snowy Peaks area. And I had to climb to a certain peak, and from that peak I could see what looked like the outline of an eagle. And, and it was um, just made like in the snow. And then I had to glide off of this high point towards the eagle. And then, I mean, it was like multiple um, mountains that made up the shape of the eagle. And the, the shape kind of moved as I glided closer towards it. And then... Um, I got like past the peak of one of the mountains that made up the eagle and I could see into the eagle's belly and there was a shrine there. And the yep. the quest was like 
some riddle about like you'll find something important like swallowed by the eagle or something like that so i just thought that was an amazing blend of a side quest with world building like they had to consider how everything in that area looked from a certain angle and everything it's just Mm -hmm. very well put together a lot of my favorite shrines were given by cass the accordion man Mm -hmm. Oh, he, oh yeah. he he always had some sort of like yeah he always gave you the riddle and then you had like a puzzle you had to figure out before you even got into the shrine which I thought was really cool yeah favorite shrines anybody else um, wow. well I mean somebody's got to bring it up eventually but I I haven't completed it yet but um, with my experience on it I really love doing eventide yep. um, that one's a blast yeah. uh, there's man. so much. So many different shrines have their own unique uh, puzzles, but I just found Eventide to be the most unique that I ran across, at least. Oh, definitely. Glenn, I sense frustration emanating from you about Eventide. That that one, I just... I personally found that kind of just uh, very stressful. Yes. And, uh, you know, from a gameplay design, it's certainly... um, it's a it's a very clever challenge. I don't know. One, I I think part of my issue is that the one like you have to get a, a sphere into a uh, you know a platform on like a it's like a coral outcropping or something, just a rock. And I forgot that I had cryonis, so I didn't. <laughs> oh realize. my goodness! Well, and this is this is okay. And when we get to the uh, the items and all that. We're, I'll talk more about this, but that was a running uh, theme, is that I kept forgetting I had cryonics. Yeah. Because it was yeah. not very well... I, I don't feel like they did a great job of training you to use it, which... I, I see. Yeah, it had more uses than it introduced you at first. Well, you'd be like, oh, here's a door. I don't have a key, so I guess I'll move along, but there's water <laughs> under the door. So yes. Totally yeah. Like a drop of water. Be like, cryosis me. Yep. Yeah. Simeon. Yes. And Glenn and Ryan. <laughs> um, I don't think Eventide would have been so bad if it didn't boot you off the island when you died. Yes. Yep. That was oh, does that happen? an annoying thing. Oh, yeah. If you die, you you, you have, have to start, start all... Not only do you have to start over, but like if you glided to the island, you you start back like where you glided from. Yeah, and I didn't even have enough stamina to glide to the island so I cryosist from oh ice block goodness. to ice block like three times as I died each attempt. Um, then I won. So I think Eventide is probably a nightmare too if you accidentally make your way there without enough hearts. I feel like you have to have a certain amount of hearts to make it oh my fun. Goodness. Otherwise, yeah. it's just going to be frustrating. Okay, so I have a question. Do you get your stuff back if you leave? Yeah. Okay. Oh, See, no, you have to be- you have- no, you have to beat it first. Oh no! You you have to beat it before he gives you your stuff back. So if you die, you're you're stuck without any of your gear. Oh no 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 no! no. Then you, you get it back. Oh yeah. okay okay. So okay. you could be like, oh well, I died, so I'm just gonna come back when I have more hearts or something. But if you start it and you don't die and you leave, then you don't have your stuff yet. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I was kind of ticked off. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the generous amount of shrines in this game. Um, and it made up for a lack of quantity in, in dungeons. 
by taking those kind of puzzle rooms and areas and spreading them out all, all over the map. So I kind of yeah. liked how that balanced it out. I mean, I don't know. I would argue that dungeon, like little mini dungeons like that, have always been a part of uh, Zelda. So hmm. um, for me, it didn't really quite make up for the lack of dungeons. I, I think it made up f- uh, for it for me a little bit because one of the things that I love about the dungeons is the puzzles. I think that's one of the main reasons they're there. And with doing the shrines, you can have such a variety in the puzzles. The one downside is um, the bigger puzzles, which, I mean, were saved to the dungeons in, in, in this game. And the dungeons, I think, were not really a highlight for me. Like, I thought they were going to be these grandiose, grand things, but I kind of ended up being disappointed each time I, like, finished one as, like, you know, that could have been a little bit better or... You know, they all kind of seem the same to a little bit. None of them really like stuck out to me. I think it's because they all had like the same setting. Normally, yes. you're used to the theme dungeons, but every mm-hmm. single one, it's like, oh, same generic ancient inside. Okay, yep. let's go. Uh, yep. Yeah, that that wore on me after a while. Um, just it, it's the same. It's the same thing every time. You know, I kind of wish. And it would have been really good world building at the same time is if you had all of this ancient technology and it's all ancient technology, but each one looks different depending on the region that was, you know, set in. And it's just like, like, well, even though they had this super advanced ancient technology and they could make it all look the same, you know, it doesn't look all the same because, you know, there's different cultures and stuff that were contributing to this. I mean, just like uh, Lord of the Rings where everything is set in the same time frame and it's medieval and all that but if you go to like rohan for example then everyone's got horse heads in the palms of their swords and stuff like that they, the settings have their own unique character which yeah these dungeons they all matched and the shrines all match i'm i was thinking more like uh just look at cities in say europe cities and american cities in asia you know they're all made with the same modern technology and you know it's industrialized so you can mass produce stuff but they have yeah. different, they just look different because the cultures yeah. have different senses of aesthetics and different yep. ways of, you know. And I mean, the races, the races in the uh, places are completely different. Like when you go to like the, the major cities, so you'd think that the dungeons could be. Yeah. Well, I, I guess in universe, technically all the stuff was done by the Sheikah, but you know, even then. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they, they did it in Skyward Sword. Like, each one of the temples had a very distinct, you know, cultural uh, origin, you could tell. And so, I, th- they are capable of doing it. Like I mean, like you said, I guess it kind of makes sense that um, it was all made by the Sheikah. But even so, like, they, they were built for um, use with the... Uh, you, the four tribes, and so right. it, yep. it it could have been more distinctive than it was. I, I have a solution for this. Breath of the Wild, happy home designer. <laughs> <laughs> oh With its goodness. own set of amiibo cards? <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, I don't think that this is necessarily a setup that Nintendo or their fans are eager to return to. No, um, I think I could see another open world game with, say, twelve dungeons, and 
that would that would do. Yeah, yeah. well, we, we already got it. It's called A Link Between Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right, we ready to move on? Well, I, I don't think we actually talked a whole lot about the dungeons themselves. Um, I liked how each one used the spinning mechanic differently. Yeah, yeah like the beasts each had their own. Uh, yeah, that that was cool. That uh, I really liked. I just uh, I personally wish that the dungeons were just bigger. Yeah. Because um, I don't know about you all, but for me, um, especially since I got into Zelda with like Wind Waker and uh, Twilight Princess, where the dungeons can be massive. Um, a dungeon to me was always something that you, you kind of clear a large chunk of your afternoon to do, you know, like on the weekend mm-hmm. or whatever. Gotcha. And it's it's just this big thing that, um, big monolithic kind of thing uh, that you you go in and you clear it and, you know, you don't you don't go back to it. You very rarely, except in right. Skyward Sword's case, uh, yeah. you don't have to go back to them. So you kind of want this big thing that you can have all the fun you can in. Uh, the first time around. I think a lot of the problem was they were kind of confined to the certain beasts that they had, so they could only yeah. make it as large as, like, and in fiction. It it was really cool that you got to have dungeons that were giant robots. Uh, Megazords. Oh, yeah. uh, Zords. You got to, you got to <laughs> find Zords. But uh, they didn't combine to fight Ganon, which would have been really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh my gosh, the, the champions are... The champions are Power Rangers. <laughs> yes, they yeah, are. Pretty much, yeah. What are you guys talking about? We're talking about Legend of Zelda. Scott, uh, you had no Sa- childhood. Sabin's the, the Legend of Zelda. I was into Power Rangers. <laughs> I just don't know what connection is being made. Zeldords. I that, see. That the I Divine see. Beasts are like uh, Megazords. Yeah. And they could all combine to... They should have when you... Okay, this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler. So, Well, a lot of bit of spoiler. So prepare. Three, two, one. They could all combine to fight the giant Ganon at the end, like hit him with something. I don't know. <laughs> that's new, that's new, funny. That's new, true. New. All right. I got three quick points about dungeons. So one, this goes for the whole game. Nintendo tried not to hold your hand playing Zelda. And like, yes. you, could, you could fall off of these things. And then all of a sudden, you're not playing in the dungeon anymore. You're back in the desert or wherever. Like... They didn't have railings, and it felt really precarious as you're walking around the outside of the beast and stuff like that. I remember that happening with, um, I want to say, the water one, but I'm pretty sure the desert one would just give you the typical fade to black and you know slap on the wrist. That mm. one they would because it's like way up in the air. Yeah. You well, have you can just teleport to back it. to it, so it doesn't even right. seem necessary. Yeah, that's true. And same with the bird. I'm pretty. Mm-hmm. Sure I I didn't jump off of the. Well, you're you're gonna die if you fall off the bird. <laughs> yeah. Well. No, because you can you can ju- you can use your uh you can use your sail like right before you hit the ground and survive any fall. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I have to wonder that that you know I I would think that would wrench Link's shoulders out of their <laughs> socket. A little but. bit. Yep. He's the chosen one. Don't ask. <laughs> Uh, I also liked the boss battles. They were hard. I died a lot. So yes, me too. The blight. Especially the last two. They were good fights. Uh, Simeon, this game is non-linear. Last two doesn't mean anything to us. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess not. <laughs> it, well, well, it does because they did. Um, the boss battles are scaled. Are so they? the first, yeah, huh. the first two, um, at least for me, 
were a little bit easier. I started with the Zora, mm-hmm. um, and that one was relatively easy. And then I um, did the the flying people. I can't. What, what are their names? Re- the Rito. The Rito. Yeah. The the Fleetos. The the Flytos. The, the Fritos. Yeah. The Cheetos. The, <laughs> the Doritos. <laughs> The boy people. Why do all those? Why do all snacks sound the same? <laughs> anyway, they, uh, because they're all made by Mexican. Ito is Spanish for little. Ah, at the end oh, of the wow. so, Anyway, I anyway, uh, <laughs> then I went to the uh, lizard thing in the Goron place, and then the Gerudo. So wow, you are really good with names. Yeah, the lizard thing, and oh, yeah, that, that's remember. actually the order I did them all in. I think so, it, it worked for me, but the, the sir, pirate you claim dude, that they are um, scaled. I need a source, sir. Uh, they got to be scaled because the first one was a cinch, and then the last two were the biggest pains, unless they're just that way. Well, I did advise you to go to them in difficulty order. So, let me let me take a look at this. I'm going to mute myself <laughs> and look it up. All right, I want to talk about. The, my last point here about dungeons, which is um, I think one of the reasons they might not have hit home so much as past entries in the series did is like this entire game was open world, you kind of had an open progression through the dungeons, and I don't think that was as satisfying as normal Dungeons of Zelda, where you have to do things in order and get small keys to open up other rooms. And when you're progressing in a dungeon in a other Zelda game, you really know when you are doing the right thing and when you're stuck. Yeah, uh, these dungeons um, felt a little bit like I don't know where to start. Or I, I don't want to go into too much detail about this because I'm actually planning on writing an article, uh, basically about what you're talking about. But I do find it interesting that linear has kind of become a dirty word in game design nowadays. And yeah. you know, I don't think linear games are bad. Uh, I think that you can have a much more handcrafted, uh, guided experience. It's just, yeah. no, you know, I totally sometimes it gets you. suffocating. I really like knowing where to go in a game, and that's why mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if I was even really going to like this, because Breath of the Wild is actually my first open-world game. So I just knew that in other games I'd play, like Metroid game, for example, mm-hmm. if I could go through a door on the left and a door on the right, I didn't really like that decision. I, was, I just want to know where should I go first? And I don't necessarily want to do trial and error. Um, But for some reason, I was not bothered by the openness of this game. I I did enjoy it. I think it really helps, too, that with the side stuff, they don't exactly tell you where to go. But if you want to continue with the main story, they're like, here are the four divine beasts. Here's the places you need to go to get to them. Otherwise, have at it. Right. So, I mean, if you want to be doing something, it points you to, like, that direct place. That, that's actually a great segue into quest design. Um, I, I actually really do like the fact that they don't... They tell you who gave you the quest, which I think is the more important thing to know because oftentimes tracking down one NPC is really painful, um, especially since none of them stand out. But uh, I really do like the fact that they, they just let uh, give you uh, you know a vague direction and you kind of have to figure it out for yourself because it makes you feel smart. I think the only NPC that really stood out to me was Cass. Other than that, they're all... That's only because he shows up so much. Yeah, that's because he's a bird who can play an accordion with feathers. What about the shakalaka tree dude? 
Oh yeah, the Maraca dude. Yep. Him, okay. him and Cass. But I was I wish I didn't have to watch his animation every single time. Like you I can know skip you can it. skip it. You oh, can okay. skip it, but it hardly skips any part of it. That's true. <laughs> you don't want to watch his little dance? You don't think it's no. cute? I wish I well, could skip it, more it, of the Great Fairy. Ooh. You have to do it far too many times. Yeah, Great Fairy. Oh, uh, yeah, let's just, my wife like walked past when the Great Fairy was just speaking, and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Simeon and your findings, sir. Um, well, it seems like it's probably not scaled, and that's just the difficulty level, but I was not able to find a definitive answer. I mean, the normal enemies do scale. Um, I don't know if you guys knew that, but I, I did find that out. That yeah. the the regular enemies they do scale. So as and you the get equipment better, you they find get scales as well. Right. Uh, okay. So, but no proof that the the bosses scale at any forms. Apparently, Thunderblight is just a big old pain, and Fireblight mm-hmm. is more difficult than the other two, but not as difficult as Thunderblight. That's very interesting. If it's a known fact that the regular enemies scale, then I wouldn't be. Wouldn't be surprised at all if it did it for the bosses too. Huh. Who knows? All right. Yeah, I do. Um, just going back to the bosses real quick. I I was kind of bummed that all the bosses were basically the same creature. Yeah. Yeah. I think that just goes back to the theming problem. Yeah. But. Yeah. There's a uh, enemy variety. I think in this game. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you have. Bokoblins, Moblins, and uh, Lizalfo, but they all kind of behave, they're, they're kind of like the same enemy, but with different special abilities. Except Bokoblins, because they're lame. They don't get special abilities. No, they, they could have had a lot more enemies. Yeah. Um, what I'm really uh, ticked about is that they didn't have Dark Nuts. Right. Yeah, they could yeah. have implemented those. Yeah, they, they'd be like, um, they, they'd be sort of like uh, the uh, Lionels. You know, you just find them. Yeah. Yeah. And I I can just see it in my head. They're like just standing there in the field, unflinching with their sword, like, um, you know, gripping their swords and having it planted in the ground. And then when you show up, they just sort of turn to look at you and pull the sword out of the ground slowly. And uh, I I want it. (laughs) I have hope for the DLC, the Cave of Trials. Wait, the name changed, didn't it? Trial of the Sword. Mm hmm. Um, I have hope that those enemies you fight will not all be the same ones that were out throughout the main campaign. I that think they'll add, really cool. uh, add a couple, a new mini boss, maybe a new boss at the end or something like that. It would have been really great to have them just out in the middle of a field, and they could have had a really great throwback to the original game where some of them aren't actually mini bosses, but you don't know which ones are actual guys and which ones are not. Yeah. So you could yeah. walk past and it's just a statue, and then you walk past another one and he's like, kind of like with the guardians. Oh, like Armos, Armos. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. That that's been. what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, there should have been Armos in that game. Because like if you're wa- when you were walking through Hyrule Castle and there's just like the random suits of armor, just like one of them could have all of a sudden just started animating and start attacking you. That's been so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. So does anyone have an impression they'd like to share on visuals? Um, beautiful i loved it cross hatching how did they do that I, I okay a little context um for anyone who doesn't know uh i'm a programmer and so i've actually done graphics programming it's uh that'll twist your brain in a pretzel if you're not careful if you are <laughs> careful 
it'll probably more likely pound it flat. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but you know, so I just I want to know what a uh, shader. That's uh, a shader is a short program you write to tell uh, the program how to process the colors. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, in this case, the shading. I want to know what, you know, program, what their shaders look like to get the, um, that cross-hatching effect to show up sometimes, but not others. Right. Uh, I could tell you, but I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the graphics. And I was really impressed how little there was pop-in and they yeah. reduced the pop in to non important things, so it was never like a mountain popped in or anything like that. Yep. Yeah, so the was... landscape was uh, pretty well done, though I'd argue there is a pop in. It's just really, it's it's not. You'd have, um, you have to pay attention to it to see it. Well, yeah, but pay attention to Link's feet. Uh, Ooh, okay. So if you're really, this is filtering that pop in, but. If you pay attention, like the texture next to his feet and the texture like, um, you know, a meter or two in front of your character are one's really blurry and the other is much cleaner looking. Well, I never noticed. Hmm. Um, again, I, I, I'm looking at this game and trying to go, how did they do that? Because I'm right. just, uh, I'm geeky like that. And so... Um, other things I noticed, some of the textures were really ro low resolution when they shouldn't have been. Like um, big metal boxes with like the swirly pattern on them mm -hmm. uh, that you would find in like shrines and stuff. Those, I'm pretty sure, are more or less just cubes. And so like the <laughs> bolts and the swirly pattern is what's known as a, um, it's a normal map. And basically what it is, is it's just a, it's a two-dimensional image. That, that looks 3D. Yeah, it's like a two-dimensional it, like it that uh, looks embossing. Yeah, it looks like it has embossing, and you know, it just basically what it says it tells the game is that uh, okay, at this point, if there's this particular color, then deflect the light in this direction. Oh yeah, cow. huh? So, you know, someday there will be a game engine that everybody can use, and it will solve clipping, and then I'll be happy because. <laughs> I mean, it's especially noticeable in games like this where you can switch out your helmet and your weapons and stuff, and then all of a sudden you got, you're got you stabbing yourself in the head with a giant sword. You have a um, big hat and a big right. sword, and it's just clipping galore. So Yeah. You know, it's weird. Clipping usually doesn't bother me that much, unless it's really? just something like really ugly where you're obviously um, putting like a bandolier on a character that the bandolier was not fitted for mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Swords just like going through the ground. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, like there's a Force Unleashed cutscene uh, on the Wii version where your main character gets to kiss someone, and but you can dress up your main character in like helmets and everything. So, anyway, that was a good time for clipping. <laughs> um, or like uh, in the Spider Man game for the GameCube where you could have big head mode. <laughs> and all the characters would have big heads, and at the end, when Spider-Man is kissing Mary Jane, just their heads are like, Argh! "Oh my gosh, yeah, that's great." <laughs> oh, I need. Yeah, to but that—that's that. a cheat code. That doesn't. Yeah, uh, that—that's meant to break the game. I yeah. all I have to say is, um, if you're looking out into the distance, it looks beautiful, but if you are like 
going under a tree or something, don't look too hard because <laughs> the angles might stab your eyes. I took a lot of pictures because I'd be like running through the fields and there would be a sunset and like a, what do you call that when the sun makes oh, like a flare? A flare. Yeah, I I, caught, I took a lot of screenshots. So that was fun. What do you guys think of the music? Um, subdued piano stuff in this game. First time piano is used in Zelda. I, I like mm-hmm. it a lot. Well, I mean, first time piano was used by itself. Yeah, first time piano really took the lead and was the central instrument. Yeah. Well, I would say even then, like the Minna's Lament from Twilight Princess, the, the game you said was your favorite. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, it was heavily <laughs> based on the piano, so. <laughs> Wait. But, no, but in the. You guys remember the Dev Diary stuff, right? Yeah. Right, but I thought they talked mm-hmm. about um, the this being like kind of piano's de- debut. Well, this first time they used an actual piano, and the oh, other yeah. one, I'm pretty sure it was just like a synth fake. Yeah, like Twilight Princess, because it was. Uh, I don't think there was enough space on the GameCube uh, discs to have actual recorded live music. So yeah, okay, so it was MIDI files then. All right, and that was that was the one track too. This is like every single track has like massive amounts of piano in it. I, I like it when the Guardian theme to. starts. Yeah. The yep. You just really... like look around like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like most of the music in this game, but um, I do admit I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a huge fan of the atmospheric pieces. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, I think they're kind of... They, they don't really... E- even when... You can only tell them apart when you're paying attention. Yeah, it's really not meant to, to grab your attention. And so it, it kind of, while I can understand that for Breath of the Wild, and a lot of my criticism for Breath of the Wild uh, is stuff where I think it was perfectly fine to do in Breath of the Wild, but I want to see it in another game. Totally. Like, largely the Zelda main theme being absent. Yeah, um, that for instance... Well, you know, just, I, I would have liked, what I really, really would have liked is to have, like, maybe a main theme and that each region of Hyrule had, like, a variation of it. Yeah, that would be That cool. would have been cool. Uh, I guess another thing I could say about the music is a lot of it just sounded very not Zelda-y. Um, yeah. Like, especially that. the town themes, like Hateno, or Hateno, I don't know how it's pronounced, Village. Hateno. Hate no. <laughs> Hate no village. That's how I say it, but I know it's uh, wrong. You know, it's it's a fine piece. I like it, but you know, it sound when I heard it, it's like this sounds more like generic JRPG town music <laughs> than Zelda town music. I think the best music are like the four, the four regions music, because they'll intertwine stuff from like previous Zelda games into it. Like yeah. if you notice in the Rito one, it's it has like heavy oh, yeah. Dragon Roost Island in Dragon Roost. Mm-hmm. All right, this will be the last spoiler warning for this episode. We're going to start talking about story now. Uh, we didn't even talk about weapons. <laughs> Wait, where was that? I totally missed it. Yeah, we can definitely touch on weapons. That's a big part of the game, and just the fact that weapons broke a lot. I know that was um, a controversial mechanic. I mean, it's definitely there to force players into a variety, and 
I did enjoy a variety of weapons. Um, I always mm-hmm. tried to hold on to like something to crush stones with, and um, I preferred like double or single-handed swords that I could use a shield at the same time. Yeah, yep, same. I think the main thing that they should have had is the durability of weapons. Uh, kind of goes up just like the how the enemies get stronger. Your durability of weapons should also increase as they progress through the game. Because at that point, you kind of have your certain weapon type that you gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. And then you don't have to keep switching weapons all the time. And just chucking them across high roll, right? (laughs) Yep. It's so cathartic. Um, It is. Honestly, you know, the breakable weapons was something that I was okay with at first. And I heard arguments for it. you know, of course, the argu- arguments against it, you can kind of, you don't really have to read those because you can kind of figure out what they are. Eventually, I kind of, I got to the point where near the end of the game, I was like, you know what? I don't like the breakable weapons anymore because, you know, I had as many weapons as I could carry, you know, and the, I, I prefer the Claymores, uh, you know, just that uh, paying homage to my Scottish heritage, I guess. <laughs> um uh, the, th- the thing I, I realized is that weapons weren't exciting. I mean, when I found a new type of weapon uh, that, uh, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I want to know what this is. You know, what's it called and how much attack power and stuff it has. But uh, for the most part, I, I think it kind of, after a while, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's another weapon. I don't care. It's just going to break. You know, even with like the champion's <laughs> yeah. weapons, it's like, yeah, I don't care. It's just going to break. Yep. I, I agree. It's not like you get I, attached. Yeah, I think literally the um, what I used, the scimitar you get from the Gerudo, um, I think I literally used that to break rocks. <laughs> it's just like, well, I mean, I'd much rather use my claymores, so I don't care if this is your ancestral weapon and it's sacred to your people. Um, <laughs> I want that rock Smash. salt. <laughs> I do wonder if they should have included like a breakage meter for each weapon. I know they're trying to keep would, the user interface pretty stripped down. You would have liked that, I mean? Yeah, I would have liked that. It would have been very helpful. They were really trying to give you as little information as possible. Like all you got is the strength of each weapon, not the speed or anything like that or durability. Unless it had like a durability up attribute or something like that. Right. But yeah, they they just tried to keep it very simple. So I, I can appreciate that. I am looking forward to unlocking the true power of the Master Sword so that it will never break. And then that kind of just puts the worry of weapons away. Yep, you'll never use anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you I'll can get the Master Sword my... so it doesn't break? In the DLC. Yeah. Oh, okay. You like that, Glenn? No, because I want a two-handed sword. <laughs> It'd actually be kind of cool if you could like set the master sword to be one-handed or two-handed. Because master yeah. sword, I mean, traditionally, if you look at it, it's a big sword. It's a big thing. One-handed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Where's the master claymore? That's yeah. not. That's not very inclusive, guys. Come on. We ready to get into story? Who who paid attention to the story? Um. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think the story, it, it does a good job of hooking you at the beginning. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I have this mystery of who I am, how I got there, and all that. Yeah, after the Great Plateau, I I think the just the general overall arching, overarching plot uh, 
Oh yeah, should we get we give the spoiler warning? Yep. Here, here. I'll okay. press the sound effect. Wee wee wee. Spoilers. Oh man, I'm so glad we can afford those really great sound effects <laughs> with all that Patreon money coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we do it for you, kids. I know my money. I I feel good knowing my money is going towards such such uh, sound investments. Yes. Um, <laughs> Sound investments. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness! I wish that was intentional. Um, I have to warn you. I don't make puns often, but uh, I do have a, a fondness for them. So they're great. No, I'm I'm very selective in how I do it, though. <laughs> that was almost a meme. I don't make puns often, but when I do, and then you have to say something really clever there. So I'll get back to you on that one. Anyway, but the overarching plot uh, loses focus, basically. Well, and that's kind of the idea, but I, I went, you know, I went straight to uh, Kakariko Village. Uh, well, as straight to Kakariko Village as you can, because, yeah. you know, you're kind of ducking around enemy camps and uh, the uh, Guardians um, a lot. And so... What I would have done if I were a developer, so I understand why they didn't do this, but it, it loses focus because they give you two or three major quests when you get there, and you kind of get in this state of decision paralysis, you know, the left door or the right door thing that Scott was talking about earlier. You know, I wasn't really sure, do I want to go regain my memories, or do I want to go after the Divine Beasts, or some combination of the two? Yep. So... Again, I understand why they did it this way, but I think if I, you know, I was in charge, I, I would have had it so that the Divine Beasts were one half of the game, and then you'd have, a, you know, after you get all of those, it's like, now it's time to get your memories back. Yeah, I would have appreciated that. Um, mm -hmm. the, the whole memory thing, when I saw that there's like 12 pictures of places that I had to revisit and I looked at the size of my map I was like no way am I ever gonna find these so I just pretty much ignored it and I enjoyed the cutscenes when they appeared when I would beat a divine beast or oh, something like that uh, the, there's a really easy way to find them uh, you you have to go to stables and you'll find the painter dude and he'll take a look and it's like oh yeah I know where that place is and then he'll uh, oh, point really? you off yeah yep okay uh, you have to do the fairy quest for him first but okay I can do that that's yeah, the that, guy yeah. with the the east or yeah the east will set up in the stables. He'll just yeah he'll tell you basically directly where they are. That's much better. Okay. Okay, All but right. you know I honestly again I think that's kind of a flawed design. The quest ultimately it, it's find this place, and I think it would have been a lot more rewarding to the player instead of you know bumming around looking. Hey, do you know where this is? I think it would have been a lot more rewarding if it's like, okay, you've traveled all over Hyrule, you've gone and you know done the Divine Beast thing. Now it's time for you to see how much of Hyrule you remember. Yeah, totally. What do you think about the story, Simeon? I don't know. I I liked it, but it's just like I don't know. It's just boring seeing the same old thing rehashed over and over and over again really yeah i think so but but ganon was uh wispy this time yeah and then oh i was about to do a spoiler thing can you do the spoiler sound effect again no we gave the final one for the episode oh sorry <laughs> it just wasn't i don't know I don't play this these games too much for the story because 
you know, there were very few Legend of Zelda games that actually branched off and had something worth following, honestly. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I don't play Zelda for the story. There are very few games that I actually do play for the story, and this is not one of them. I, I agree. Being a Nintendo fan is has not really brought me up in the way of story appreciation in games. Mm-mm. All right, so we have covered most of the aspects of Zelda, and we talked about how this entry in the series is a big departure. Um, the developers tried to... What was their catchphrase? Up in uh, the challenge, table? No, that's Miyamoto. Challenge convention, I think, is how they yeah. refer to it. Yes. Yep. And it was received really well. This game is selling crazy big numbers. So what's next for the series? You think that they will make... Because I kind of feel like they put they invested so much into this open world that I would not be surprised at all to see like a Majora's Mask take using this same world. I hope so. Um, I'd actually be really interested in that because the thing about Majora's Mask is it had a much smaller scope. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, you know, just b- because of my own personality and stuff, I kind of prefer s- things that tend to be very focused. Yeah. Uh, instead of very broad. So I, I, you know, like to see how they could take what they have here and apply it to a uh, much tighter, more. Uh, focused experience i definitely i don't know if they'll use another game in this but i definitely think that's why they said that there's going to be dlc i don't know maybe after this one they'll announce even more dlc if this one goes over well because then i mean you don't need to create a whole new game when you're just using something in the same exact space that's already on the cartridge yeah no there could absolutely be more dlc and i'm really interested in what the winter stuff will be because it's going to come out right around holiday time, and it's going to actually have storyline content and another dungeon. And let's hope that dungeon is huge. <laughs> I, I do hope that they go the sequel route, because we have so, so little of that in the Zelda series. It's, you know, bouncing yeah. around this, trying something new, and that's great, and it's produced some great results. I mean, obviously with this one. But I'm I'm hoping, like with Scott since it was such a big success and they did put so much into it that they will just straight up make a sequel. Or take Link out, drag and drop him off the game into the desktop and drag and drop Samus. There you <laughs> yeah, go. <laughs> for real. No more after waiting for the loading of rooms because you're trying to get away from something and the door won't open. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, but but you're like, Adam, can I use cryosis? No. It's not Adam, safe. can I climb this mountain? <laughs> no. No, you have to hey, let go. Adam is dead, okay? He is dead <laughs> and gone except, you know, the computer Adam. Spoilers for <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> also, what if it's a prequel? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, where is I want to know what happens line? next in Metroid. I Why are we too. talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next podcast, everybody. So, where is this game in the timeline? Is there any idea about that? Uh, it, Ask Game Over Jesse. <laughs> yeah, yeah I have yeah, no that, idea. That would be his deal. But um, the in the timeline, I'm pretty sure we're like thousands of years after any game in the. Series. That's what made the most sense to me, especially yeah. since they have so many references to other games. 
that it would mm. kind of have to take place after everything. Mm-hmm. And technology for the first time. I mean, iPads right. and all that. Yep. Uh, iPads. <laughs> iPads. iPads, that's right. Oh. Yes. Um, so having said everything that we've said, mm-hmm. is this the all-time best Zelda ever of all time? I will say this. I do think it is the best Zelda so far. It's not my favorite. I think I'd still go with Majora's Mask. But I do believe that, um, all things considered, it is the best best Zelda game. I just prefer Majora's Mask because it's unique and the time mechanic is fun and the characters are great. Uh, It's just completely different from this game. I think overall, gameplay-wise especially... This one takes the cake. So you're really crossing your fingers for Legend of Zelda Majora's Breath. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'm, oh. I, as you could, as you could <laughs> say, I am holding my breath for that. Oh, <laughs> Gotta love the puns, right? Oh, yeah. I think this is the best one, yes. Uh, it takes the open world mechanic that you've seen from all the other great open world games, but it's done it the best that I've ever seen as well. And I'm a huge fan of open world games. So yeah, I would definitely say this one takes the cake. It's, it sucked me in more than any other Zelda has just because every time you start it up, you can have a completely new experience where the other one, it's kind of like a point A to point B sort of situation, unless you're side questing this one, you can just jump into the world and just walk around if you want to. Absolutely. Glenn, not even in my top three. Oh, really? what? Honestly, Bro, what? this is a B plus game in my opinion. Oh. Which, bear in mind, that's a good <laughs> score. Okay, that's everyone. Good, I believe everyone should play this, especially if you own a Wii U or Switch. So I'm not saying it's bad. I did like it, but honestly, yeah, it just did not resonate with me. I think it. Again, I'm very objective based. I I like checking things off a list what would you say is the uh in in your top three you know i would say probably the still uh link between worlds uh i would put wind waker which is also fairly open-ended and but Mm -hmm. wind waker in there and i don't know after that it's kind of a toss-up between like uh Twilight Princess or Skyward Sword because, you know, both of those are great games, but very flawed in some respects. Have you guys, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I don't think any of us has mentioned Ocarina of Time in this entire podcast. <laughs> How the heck with Ocarina of Time? It's <laughs> Ocarina is overhyped. I mean, good game, but... If it's the first 3D Zelda you've played, most of the time you'll say, like, yeah, it's amazing, it's amazing, but... Right. If you didn't, then you don't have that sort of nostalgia factor, so it's not going to rank nearly as high for you. But yeah. yeah, honestly, what I'm personally interested, I I think Skyward Sword, I didn't like a lot of its designs and decisions. I think they needed to be made, though. What I want to see is what they do next, because um, it, if you've ever studied philosophy, I went to a liberal arts school, so I had to. Uh, and it's actually interesting to me, at least. But there's a concept of a thesis, an antithesis, and a synthesis, where the thesis is the established status quo. The uh, mm-hmm. antithesis is something that comes to challenge it to, you know, 
upset the balance or whatever. And then the synthesis is where you take the best of both concepts and blend them together into a better concept. Uh, mm. I think Breath of the Wild is the antithesis. I want to see the synthesis because I, I think they they went a little bit too far in some respects. Like, I miss items. Mm. Uh, I, I miss that sense of... Because really the only way you get better in this game is your weapons and clothing and your you know how many hearts you have or stamina. You, you don't get... I mean, the... Like the, I think the only major mobility upgrade you get in the game is the um, Rivalis or Falco or whoever his Gale. <laughs> uh, Falcos. Yeah, I'm surprised I even remember to call him Rivali because really it, it's Falco. Yep. Lombardi's that was Gale. A super fun power up. That's yeah, why. Yeah, that's, that's like that's the, main the best reason. power up in the in the game, and I yeah. think I love it so much because it's a classic mobility power up. Yeah, I wanted mobility stuff. I wanted to get, like, dashing shoes. Yeah, and, yep. well, mm -hmm. that would be kind of tricky with the whole equipment thing. And there are, like, snowshoes and sand boots and stuff, but... Yeah. Um, All right. I, I liked it. I feel like every... I, I None of my time was wasted playing it, but I'm not sure I'd go back to this game if it weren't for the DLC, of course. Well, I do appreciate the counterpoints that you've brought to this show. Um, well, I, I am a uh, natural-born contrarian, so expect <laughs> more of that. <laughs> Good. Good, I can't wait. Well, from my perspective, um, I do think that this game deserves all of the 10 out of 10 scores that it received because it's so fresh and thoughtful and new and exciting and challenging and beautiful. Um, but I also can see how it deserves a lot of the criticisms that it gets, too. It is my new personal favorite, and I think that um, I think that it's the best game in the series right now. But I think that, like you said, Glenn, they probably overcorrected in a lot of the areas that they broke the conventions. And um, just because I think that this game can stand up as a 10 out of 10 doesn't mean that there are things to be missed from other entries in the Zelda series. Uh -huh. And I think that they will iron that out and balance it more in the future where we'll get an open world game with lots of dungeons and items too. Mm -hmm. So I think that I think that they can uh, really follow this up well. And I'm yep. looking yeah. forward to that. And I I don't I don't see uh, Breath of the Wild staying on the top forever, but I'm sure glad that they learned a lot of lessons for the things that they implemented in this game and were willing yep. to try new things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I Agreed. think this is a game that needed to be made, even if I don't agree with every decision they made. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, it's not, it's not the Zelda formula from now on. You know? Yeah, just so long as mm -hmm. they, you know, they reincorporate the stuff that worked in past Zelda games. The, the way I would describe it is either the Zelda series is going to be amazing from now on if they, um, you know, they sort of to, you know, go, okay, now what can we reintroduce without uh, messing up all the hard work we put into, you know, challenging those conventions and not just slip back yep. into the rut we were before. But if they just get into a new rut where, you know, everything is just, you know, Breath of the Wild 2, 3, and 4, I may not be a Zelda fan anymore. Because, mm. <laughs> you know, it was good once, but mm, I'm not sure I could do this again. <laughs> <laughs> 
this game I think had to happen just so like the stale formula had to be broken and I'm glad that they changed so much because now they can take what works and get rid of what doesn't work. Right. Just get get all the new stuff out of the way at once and then just kind of mash it into one Mega Zelda game after this. Yeah. Megazord. Sorry. Yes. Zelda yeah, word. so the next game confirmed Megazords and uh, Breath of the Wild sequel. Sabans, The Legend of Zelda. Coming Saban? to a theater near you? A Saban or what, how, Saban or however you pronounce it, yes. For for us English Englishers, Saban. <laughs> Sadly, this wonderful discussion of uh, Breath of the Wild is coming to a close. However, you can head right on over to twobuttoncrew.com slash blog. We have a number of entries about Zelda, starting with Glenn's that he wrote... Um, Back towards the end of March, Link's log, a narrative Breath of the Wild Let's Play. You can kind of read like the first opening hour of Breath of the Wild from Link's perspective. And Glenn, you did a really good job like imbuing that with a lot of humor and stuff. Yep. Even commenting on the Zelda tropes as you went. It was really good. Yeah, well, if you, uh, if you like that, that's actually based off of a YouTube series um, called uh, Freeman's Mind for the... It's based on the uh, it's basically that for the half-life series though i should caution our uh, listeners that it there is some strong language and stuff in there so use discretion mm-hmm. not on our blog though not no on our discretion blog. needed uh, <laughs> ryan you wrote how should nintendo follow up breath of the wild so yep. you've got that article there and then uh matt who didn't wasn't able to make this podcast because of i don't know marriage reasons um, he published on May 28th, Breath of the Wild Nostalgia, and that's another great one to check out. Um, Glenn has an entry coming up in July critiquing Breath of the Wild's progression, so if you've enjoyed his negativity, then there's more of that <laughs> on the way. Yep. So, <laughs> that's and, and there was a lot of stuff I didn't get to, uh, didn't get to complain about so, uh, <laughs> in this discussion. So Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Well, there's no one going to be able to cut you off on your blog post. So, Again, that's at uh, twobuttoncrew.com slash blog, and you spell it out, T-W-O, button crew. Mm-hmm. All right, Simeon, where can people find you online? Where can they find us online or me online? You online. <laughs> uh, I don't want people stalking me online, but you can find Two Button Crew on all your social media outlets. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and of course on YouTube. Um, also and on MySpace. Yes, Not and MySpace my for you. <laughs> I think I, I don't, don't even know what MySpace is anymore. I think it's like a, a music thing now. I don't think it's even yeah, it's like not, yeah. actual social media. Well, we we sing songs. Ryan, where can people find you online? I am at Ryan Van Leer on Twitter. Great. <laughs> I think I, I'm pretty sure I have other stuff too, but I, I think I'm Ryan Van Leer on Instagram too. I hardly post on there, so. Did you want to talk about you want. Uh, streams at all? Oh sure. So we, you can just follow us at our regular old Two Button Crew YouTube page to watch us on our YouTube gaming live streams. We are also on Twitch, and we will soon be on Mixer as well. I'm setting that up. Ooh. Glenn. What? (laughs) What? What? (laughs) I I don't do social media. I don't have a Twitter or any of that stuff. Yeah, 
You can find Glenn at twobuttoncareer.com slash blog. Many many entries written by him, uh, even more edited to perfection by him. And we are Two Button Crew, and if you are uh, just meeting our acquaintance right now, we have a daily YouTube show that's our main gig, and it's at youtube.com slash twobuttoncrew, kind of like a Good Mythical Morning style thing where Simeon and I discuss or play a game, challenge each other to competitions, something like that, something different every single Monday through Friday. Saturday we have streams, Sundays we have blogs. So don't wait around to hear from us till our next podcast episode. Um, come visit us on our various channels and uh, social media as well. If you would like to support this podcast and help us create more episodes for you, you can go to patreon.com slash Two button crew. So wherever you decide to go, we hope to see you soon online. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. All right. This Hi. has been really fun. Thank you so much, Glenn. Thanks again mm-hmm. for outlining this episode. And um, thank you to each of you for coming online for this awesome conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Sure thing. I've always wanted to do a podcast. Now you're in. <laughs> <laughs>